Welcome back to an all new, all different episode of Aim for the Bushes. I'm your podcast person, Pablo, also known as JPav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. And back with me again today, special podcast person, Alex. I'm back. Hello. He's you back. have not gotten rid of me. <laughs> oh no, we are rushing now. We've been thinking. Oh no, I'm just kidding. Oh god, I don't know if I'm talking <laughs> about that now. No, no, no. Okay. I was just talking to somebody the other day, and I was like, you know, I don't know if we can if we can do the whole in in Russia blank blanks you mm. joke anymore. I was like, damn, that was that was a, a good piece of comedy for me back when I was a teenager. We can't it'll, do that anymore. It'll come back. I hope so. <laughs> I hope there's a peaceful resolution, and uh, we'll be able to not have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> but getting back to today's topic. If you, again, have not read the show description, which you have no obligation to do, but it is, does satire work? Mm. But before we answer that question, if we answer that question, I don't know if we have an answer for that, but before we get into it, our show's non-legal legal disclaimer, which is simply that, you know, the opinions that we express on this show and previous shows and future shows is simply that, an opinion uh, you know, you you can agree with us, you can disagree with us. Uh, we're not saying that we hold ultimate truth or that no other viewpoint can be correct. But yeah, today's topic, the satire work. So I guess there, there there's a few things that kind of brought me to this this question mm-hmm. of uh, of whether or not satire is effective. Does it accomplish the thing that it generally sets out uh, to do? Before before I get into that, just like a quick definition uh, yeah, of satire. Because that's important. It, yeah. it really is. So this is just a very basic. This is just from uh, uh, this one here I'm about to read is just from like Google. So if you search Google, satire gives you a definition. So it says the use of humor, irony, exaggeration or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices, particularly in the context of contemporary politics and other topical issues. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's kind of like making fun of something to ridicule it, usually uh, with um, hyperbole yeah. to to illustrate uh, how something is, is dumb or whatever. So you, you, it's using like extreme exaggeration to kind of point out the flaws in a certain way of thinking yeah. or a certain uh, political view or whatever. Yeah, I I will even add on to that that like satire is obviously meant to be like humorous, right? Uh, but it can be, it doesn't have to be. Does exactly it doesn't have to be. Uh, the greater purpose of it is you know most often more often than not constructive like social criticism, right? Mm-hmm. Using like uh, wit and exaggeration and stuff to draw attention to like wider issues in society or like as past said like political, social, economic, et cetera, et cetera. Right, exactly. So uh, also quickly, I'll just um, give this one, this definition uh, on Wikipedia. So it says satire is a genre of the visual, literary and performing arts, usually in the form of fiction and less frequently nonfiction in which vices, follies, abuses and shortcomings are held up to ridicule, often Mm -hmm. with the intent of shaming or exposing the perceived flaws of individuals, corporations, government or society itself into improvement. Although mm-hmm. satire is usually meant to be humorous, its greater purpose is often constructive social criticism. So what you're saying, yeah. Alex, yeah. using wit to draw attention to both particular and wider issues in society. So that's just to give you just a general idea if you're unfamiliar of satire. 
but so as I was saying before that, uh, there's a couple things that brought me to this idea of whether or not it's effective. So one of those things is that there was this podcast that I used to listen to like, I don't know, maybe like five or six years ago. Uh, I don't remember what it was called, but it was by um, Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a well-known, I guess, essayist or something. Yeah, I'd, I'd say not that. like super familiar with his work, but I had come across this thing. And it was only like, I think five or six episodes. And there was, I don't know, each episode was a different topic. Uh, I believe he's the person that came up with this idea that like you, you need to put in like 10,000 hours of work to become a, good at something. So that idea, I think, kind of mm-hmm. comes from him. I think it's something he put forth, something along those lines. But anyways, one of the episodes uh, on this podcast was the question of is satire effective? So that's kind of like one of the one of the things that I was like, oh, okay, that's a good question. Like, does satire accomplish the goals yeah. that it sets out to accomplish? So if someone puts out a satirical work or a satirical uh, piece or something, does it whatever it is, whatever it's questioning, does it does it end up helping to serve uh, that purpose? Another thing was. Um, I saw, like, I, I don't know. Did you ever see the show Veep? Veep? Yeah. I've never heard of this. In oh, my life. no. Okay. It's a show that was on, like, I think it was HBO. Uh, started, like, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Like, oh, Elaine yeah. from Seinfeld, right? She, uh, yeah. And it's, it's a political satire. So, it's, like, a show uh, ran for five or six seasons, I think. Oh, it, was, it was hilarious. Like, I loved it. It was basically about, like, the absurdity, the stupidity of government. So, basically, her character... It was someone who had presidential ambitions, but she didn't reach those. So she was someone who went to go for president, but she didn't make like the primaries and got selected as the vice presidential candidate. Oh. So like if you're not familiar with American politics, the role of the vice president is <laughs> basically you do nothing. I think your <laughs> only like official role is to break is to be the tie breaking vote if there's like a deadlock in the Senate or House of Representatives, one of those things. Oh, sorry, I'm not American people. <laughs> so they'd, they'd be the deciding vote. I believe that's their only legal obligation or duty other than taking over the role of the presidency should the president uh, become incapacitated in some kind of manner. Hmm. So it's like her trying to like just navigate like political life. But it, again, the idea, the definition of satire that we just gave, it kind of shows like the ridiculousness uh of being a politician right so a lot of the times like she doesn't give a shit about like constituents or people and all that stuff it's just like what do i do and say to like look good or like responding to like a controversy that comes up right so it kind of like pokes fun like all that kind of stuff so the reason why i bring that up is um the cast was here in montreal a couple years ago and i went to go see them speak they, there was like some kind of panel discussion and I was at like, uh, I believe Place des Arts. And so I went. And so one of the questions I think from the audience that came up or that they had mentioned was that, uh, cause one of the things that they don't do in the show, they don't have like a political side. So you're not like, Oh, her name, uh, her character's name in the show is Selena Kyle. So you never find out what they the don't political say she's Republican. Yeah, exactly. Or There's no political affiliation, right? They kind of keep that uh, ambiguous. Yeah. So I think someone said, like, asked a question along those lines, like, does everyone think, like, you know, you're Democrat or Republican or whatever? And the answer that they gave to that was that 
whatever side that that whoever whatever side that the viewer leaned on that's what they thought the show was making fun of so if you're someone that leaned democrat you thought the show was like making fun of republican politics mm-hmm. if you were someone that leaned republican you know you thought the show was making fun of democratic democratic politics or policy yeah. or whatever right so it's kind of like although granted the show doesn't itself does not take a uh, political leaning either way in terms of like the political parties of the u.s just more about like the system in general but it does lend i thought like an interesting question like oh yeah if both sides see it as making fun of the other side like Is what really are what do you anything? take away from this mm. kind of thing and it's the same thing um for the colbert report i don't know if you ever watch yeah the colbert report yeah so that show was basically like satire on like Fox News, right? The or yeah. generally left, uh, sorry, right leaning like political pundits that you would normally find on Fox News, but it could be from other news networks, organizations, or just personalities in general. Um, but a question, uh, I forget where I had read this. I had to come across this somewhere because this is like over ten, maybe fifteen years ago now. But again, it came down to the viewer which side of the political political spectrum they leaned on so mm. someone who leaned more left looked at that saw it satirizing the right but the people who leaned on the right still saw it as like satirizing like the left or whatever so it's just kind of like interesting you know so you each side is thinking like ah yes that's what the other side is like mm-hmm. right so that they were poking fun at the other side so at the end of the day it's like well is this effective then because like both each each side thinks it's making fun of the other side. So what's what's the point? And then the the, the third thing I'll mention here, just the political climate that we live in now, right? Because we had all those years throughout the early two thousands, uh, most of the twenty tens, with a lot of this type of humor that poked fun of like right leaning uh, Republican stuff. Yeah. Right, but that all changed. Right. When 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 Donald Trump was elected. Yeah. As president. So it was like, how effective was all this stuff saying that, like, oh, this way of thinking is dumb and stupid or whatever, to the point that it's like, oh, well, now look at the environment that we are in now. Right. Like after Trump was elected, we had huge. um, uh, I'll say like revivals of a lot of outward racism. Yep. And for a long time. You know, you had not seen anything like that for many years. It was talking about, oh, this idea of at least outward expressions of racism is going down and going down. You know, you can't can't do this kind of stuff anymore. I was so shocked when they had that. That rally in in the States, I forget where it was now, it could have been Virginia, but where they had like, the, yeah, Charlottesville. Yeah. Yeah. Was that North Carolina? I can't remember exactly where that was. Where they had that, where they had that demonstration and they have people in their weird tiki torches marching through the street, you know, saying Jews will not replace us. I was like, what? Like, I never thought that we would see that in this day and age based on what had people have been saying for a long time. Like people who were outwardly mm-hmm. racist were shown as like passe and kind of sad. And it's like no one just kind of thinks this way anymore. And then, you know, you had all these shows and, and, and viewpoints popping up, you know, heavily criticizing and satirizing, you know, the George Bush government, right? And all that stuff. And then when Obama was elected, kept hearing about 
oh, we're in a post-racial society. We're in a post-racial society. No one cares about race anymore. Like, we move beyond it. And then all of a sudden, all that stuff comes right back to the forefront. Or it's like, whoa, yeah. we have not moved beyond all this. Because it's here and loud and in, in ways that it had not been in, like, a, quite a while. Mm-hmm. So it led me to the question that, you know, I'm not the first person to think this, but it's like, okay, so all this, you know, satirical stuff that we come across, has it done anything? Like, does it actually change societal viewpoints? Mm. No, I think that's a totally fair question question to ask, right? Uh, precisely for the for the reasons you said. Like, it's very it's very interesting to me to think to see that like uh, both sides of the like the political spectrum got something from like Veep and from the Colbert Report. I don't know. I, my initial thought of that is like, oh, well, that clearly means it's bad satire. But I'm not going to call the Colbert Report bad satire. It was incredibly good, right? It was mm-hmm. for what it was trying to do. It, it succeeded. It was very popular, right? But I think about like if you're get when if you're trying to make satire that is specifically criticizing one thing. Like, it should be very obvious what you're trying to criticize. And the people that you're trying to criticize shouldn't be like, oh, yeah, right, yeah, for sure. And perhaps that's a detriment. Perhaps that's that's something to say for political satire specifically. Hmm. When, When creating it right, if you're not being specific as to who you're criticizing, right, if you're leaving room for interpretation from the audience, it it you know, you kind of get, you, you, you leave room for exactly that, right? For the people that you're criticizing to take that into consideration. Um, like I think about, uh, I don't know if you've ever encountered um, a modest proposal. Oh yeah, uh, it's Right, so for those of you who, who might not know about it, a modest proposal is this really early work of satire uh, by this guy, Jonathan Swift, who was British. And he wrote this in like 1729, he writes this essay. He's he's Irish, uh, and he he writes this thing where, as a as a satirical essay, talking about like how Ireland, which was being uh, under under the British Empire at the time, being like, oh well, Ireland's so poor and Ireland's so so shitty right now. How do we solve this? And the proposal was for the Irish to uh, sell their babies for food to other to other countries. To try to lift them out of it. So obviously that's very crazy, right? Uh, but it was very clearly done like, ah, oh, you'll sell your things to the British and the British will uh, give you money kind of thing. Uh, and Ireland will be able to live to get its riches there. And it was very clearly aimed at like uh, British imperialists who were like, well, the Irish should get off their butt and do something about their poverty if that's the case, right? But something about the Amon's proposal is A, it's very targeted, right? But it's also the fact that it was super early in history as a satirical work. So it got a lot more traction against it from the people, not only the people who were reading it, but the people that it was against, right? It was aimed at the aristocracy and a lot of them responded because at the time, you don't have hundreds of different shows and hundreds of different things, essayists being published, right? You had a platform, if you had a platform in the 1720s, uh, you were able to get a lot of people's attention. And I think there, there's, sat, for satire to work now, you're, you're, be, you're like challenged by a whole bunch of other 
genres and things to try and get political uh, or any public notoriety, right? Like a random satirical show might not get as much attention as the latest HBO show or uh, Fox News, right? That's try that's itself doing the thing that it might be satirizing, right? You have to be really, really good to get any kind of attention. Like I think, I think the most popular satire show that I can think of off the top of my head is something like South Park, right? Mm-hmm. South Park is totally satirical and it's gotten a lot of attention. But the thing about like South Park, right, is that, and, and, and I think it comes to that, it's, it's, it's this, that's the kernel of that question that you're asking, right? Like, sat, like South Park is beloved by pieces of shit as well as people who, are, who recognize it as satire, right? When, 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 a, when South Park makes like a trans, transphobic joke or a racist joke uh, in the spirit of poking fun at people who do that, people who are like that are like, oh yeah, that's funny. Great, somebody else has my viewpoint. So it's really tough to like make a point with satire now, I find. Yeah, uh, speaking of like of South Park, yeah, because that, that, that's, that's a good example of like a highly like satirical show. Uh, and I have an episode there's a previous episode that you can go back and listen to where I talk about like South Park, where it was criticized for generating apathy, actually, from mm. the response. Because part of it is um, satirizing, yeah, different viewpoints and stuff like that. And that's where a lot of the humor derives from, because obviously you get these like completely outlandish situations that arise. But ultimately, at the end of the day, for a show like South Park, I think it's the central tenet of the show at least a lot of people have taken away from the show is that caring at all is the problem. Mm. Right. So it becomes less about trying to evoke change or whatever it is they're satirizing and more about like the fact that you even care, you know, is at the end of the day, what the problem is. So it really lends itself to just general apathy instead of, whatever the issue is uh, that they're talking about, because um, in, t- in terms of like climate change, more recently they've come out and they've like apologized for their episode where they satirized or made fun of Al Gore. Cause mm. if you remember back in, I think 2006, uh, no when one in, took Al Gore seriously, that poor guy, <laughs> <laughs> when uh, the, the film documentary film, uh, an inconvenient truth was released. And Al Gore, you know, went on like this whole thing about talking about, okay, yo, we need to like actually legit talk about the environment because, you know, global warming or climate change, however you want to call it now, uh, is a real, a real concern that we're going to have to deal with like relatively soon ish. Mm-hmm. Right. And on South Park, he's portrayed as, uh, you know, talking about man bear pig. That's the, the parallel for, uh, <laughs> yeah. For right. environmental concerns there's man bear pig he's one third man one third <laughs> oh no no he's half he's half man half bear half pig yeah right and you know you have al gore there he's like i'm super serial you guys man bear pig's coming right he talks like that you know the, the phrase super serial which i still use because it's funny but they went back and said oh no like actually we were wrong on that and again the idea there wasn't just poking fun at Al Gore for going on this crusade mission. Cause part of what they, when they poke fun at people was like the sanctimonious nature that a lot of people take when they take up yeah. social causes, right? There's a lot of, you could argue like arrogance or holier than thou attitude mm-hmm. 
that people have. Like I remember for I don't remember the exact episode, uh, but there was one where everyone starts driving electric cars. Right. And so they liken it to like loving the smell of their own farts. So whenever someone gets like a Prius, right, they just start like farting and immediately like bend over to like smell it. They're just like, ah, yeah. It's like, I just bought a Prius. We're like, and they're like, ah, yeah, that's great. Right. Like, that's funny. That's yeah, funny. that is funny. Damn it. <laughs> right. But an, I don't know, unintended, intended consequence though is like, right now, it's not just that uh people are being self-serving you know arrogant butts about about how they're saving the environment or whatever it also again lends the question of like oh I, you you care about saving the environment wow you're such like a freaking loser like mm. you know get a life kind of thing like that's also what it portrays so that kind of like muddles them i'm not even saying that their goal is to even promote you know saving the environment in general but Another thing is like like what you said is like do people recognize something as being yeah. satirical or do you just take it up straight up take it for straight up value just take it on its surface because it's not yeah. always apparent what what the message is it's not it's not it's true it can get really hard uh, and like good sat really good satire especially right is so hard to distinguish from. Uh, what it from what it's pretending to be right because it's taking it to that extreme it's taking it uh well actually that's like i take that back sure good set because 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 there's a point that i that I'm, I'm realizing that i'm trying to make here uh is that like satire is supposed to take things to an extreme right and something that i think will a video that that you shared with me earlier this week uh or, or a couple weeks ago now uh will serve this kind of point right is that when it's like, so satire is supposed to take things to extreme in order to like show, to make fun of it, right? And to, to show what's wrong with it. When you live in a world where the extreme is the reality, it's really hard to make that kind of thing work, right? And I think there was an example, I watched the, this video that, that Pav shared with him, which you can maybe put in the show notes, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, is, was like, so there was this Onion article uh, or there's this, 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 this article that was like, oh, uh, people are, companies are talking about uh, privatizing the moon to solve poverty on earth. Um, and it's like, oh, wait, is that satirical or is that the truth? Because we live in a world where that could be true and is no longer funny to say, hey, aha, look, that's, that's the extreme point of view. That's clearly satirical. People are talking about that shit and thinking about it literally, right? We live in such a fucked up, like and I absolutely think it like your your, your Trump analogy earlier your Trump uh, thing earlier makes sense of that right like post Trump there were so many like you could just the tenants of that government were like oh you can say whatever you want as long as it get as long as it gets clicks fake news facts aren't correct but like if you sell people the lie that is what is correct right and now that we're in that sphere now that we're in that world it's 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 i would say it's quite difficult to make fun of something by bringing it to an extreme when that could very well be reality right yeah and when you think of like something like the onion uh especially like nowadays because the onion is just like the satirical kind of like publication yeah they're and like so they, yeah they would uh put out absurd headlines uh maybe even articles i I never really read it i just remember seeing when people would post yeah, about it's, it. it's it's news satire yeah, exactly 
And so they would do that. And then at a certain point, it just became like, wait, is this an onion article or is this real? Yeah. Like it became it's hard a dedicated to thing distinguish. To being like not the onion. <laughs> yeah. Is this, is this something that's actually happening in the world? Or is yeah. this someone, you know, just taking something to a humorous like extreme? So it, yeah, the, the water has now become muddied and it's really hard to tell if someone's being serious. Like, did you see uh, that film, Don't Look Up? No, I haven't watched it, but I heard, I, got, I, I heard it got mixed reviews. Yeah, so I saw it. I, I couldn't finish it, but I had come across it, like seen articles about it. I heard someone talk about it saying it was really funny because basically the central thing for the, the film is that there is an asteroid that's going to come mm-hmm. and hit the Earth, and it's going to be a mass extinction event. And so uh, it's basically outlines like the world's response to this event, basically, this cataclysmic event that's going to happen. That's certainty. Like, it's going to happen. There's no uh, could miss or anything like that. It's supposed to be satire. I don't really find it super satirical because a lot of stuff that happens in the film, I'm like, that's what would happen, though. Yeah. Because uh, basically there's a bunch of, like, denialism about the dangers of it. But part of it also comes into like the capitalistic economic society that we live in because they, in the world of this film, they, they have a technology to potentially launch missiles at it to blow it up into smaller pieces that would you know, maybe burn up in the atmosphere or be less, less dangerous in terms of it impacting the earth. But then they analyze it with like mass spectroscopy or whatever and they realize, oh, it's full of super valuable minerals in there that are worth like billions of dollars. So they, they decide, you know, we're not going to blow it up. First, we're going to like mine it or break it into smaller pieces so that we could mine it. But then it doesn't work, you know, and basically you kind of get like the end of the world kind of thing. And you have people leaving like on spaceships to like get away and all that stuff and potentially survive. Right. But I, I, I saw it and I just got bored with it because I'm like, this isn't really yeah, satire. I'm like, this would happen. You would have people, especially in our given climate now, that would that would say like, uh, you know, deny that the that this thing is happening or that it's a danger. Cause part of what the reason why it's called don't look up is because you had people who were saying like, yo, this thing was going to happen. Just look up at the sky. Like you can see it in the sky. You can see it coming. And eventually you had the opposition being like, no, don't like we refuse. We're literally going to bury our heads in the sand and not actually look mm. up. Yeah. Kind of thing. And I, yeah, I was just, was bored with it. Cause I'm like, yeah, okay. This probably would happen. You would have people, even though there's a literal, thing in the sky that's going to come and kill everything you would have people still defending it being like nah this isn't going to happen right yeah and so i'd watch this video on wisecrack that talked about you know is this movie effective satire and part of the definition that we read right was that it's criticizing something but our society uh in some way and how to fix it right so what it said is like it's not and i agree with this it's not effectual satire because there's nothing to fix in this in this film because it's an external force that's going to come and hit the earth because it's supposed to be an analogy for climate change, right? And the denial yeah. around it. Uh, but because in the film, it's, it's a comet that's coming to hit the earth or an asteroid or whatever. I don't care what everyone call this astrological body. Uh, because it's coming to hit the earth, it's like it doesn't matter what you do. Whereas yeah. climate change, there's stuff that can do. Yeah. So it's like not effective like in that sense because, you know, climate change is like, you know, our economic system that we have, like we have to change completely. Like the real yeah. way to solve climate change is that we have to stop making stuff quite literally. Exactly. 
like the idea that uh, and this is a topic for, for something down the line, but you know, what I've been saying, at least like to myself in general, when I think about this is like you, you, we can't buy our way to salvation in this case, right? We, no. We're not going to fix the environment by buying more stuff. So when people say, oh yeah, buy like Tesla yeah. because it's an electric car, you know, we're not going to be using less fossil fuels. I'm like, it's still perpetuating. Yeah, we're not going to buy our contribute to climate change. Yeah, yeah. we're yeah. not going to buy our way out of it because yes, maybe we'll use less fossil fuels in terms of like gasoline and all that stuff for for cars because they're a big factor, you know, to pollution and all that stuff with the combustion engine and all that. But now we have a new problem, you know, for everyone just buying Teslas or electric cars. What do you do with all the batteries and all that stuff? Right, just a new problem that yeah. propagates. And same thing with like going vegan, because I know like a lot of the issues with like. Uh, raising animals is that uh you know the land and water that it takes to raise like cows or um what's like sheep chicken livestock livestock exactly most of the the environmental impact comes from like land acquisition and land use so like chopping down forests creating grazing land all that stuff right but if you get rid of all that stuff and replace it with plants of some kind but our economic system doesn't change like i i don't know how much of an environmental impact that's going to make for the better because it's like yes we're using less land for for livestock and grazing and all this stuff but now if the idea is bye 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 you have to plant more and more and more and more yeah so like is that going to make a change right because you have to think about if something uses less resources, my, my, my initial question is as compared to what, right? And if we still keep the same capitalistic mentality of grow, 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 because capitalism is infinite growth, mm-hmm. are we going to make a, a difference in the environment if, you know, you have to keep buying land to grow more plants and stuff like that? Because there are problems with agriculture too, right? When you have these large sure. factory farms, right? There's like soil fatigue, erosion, uh, fertilizer, chemical runoff that, you know, can taint water supplies and all this different stuff. Like it's not as simple as, oh, we'll just don't eat. Yeah. Meat. It's really not as simple as that. It's true. If you don't change the, the underlying cause, the underlying which is the, cause. cause even for meat production, like, yes, it is more, you know, taxing on the environment, but part of the problem is again, the idea of grow, 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 right? So you get the factory farming again that says, oh, we need all this livestock. <laughs> to kill because we have to sell more and more and more and more right so if you don't change that so when you have things like like again bringing it back to like the satire stuff i'm like is it in, in terms of the film don't look up i'm like is it really going to be that effective mm-hmm. when it's not really questioning any of our uh mechanisms that we employ in our economic systems and how we make things but yeah. it's 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 putting it out to an exterior force that we yeah. have no control over at the end of the day for sure so i think it'd no, be I more see that. i think it'd be more effective if it was not an, an an analogy for climate change but maybe if it was more satirizing our like political and like news systems or something yeah like that. it well it's definitely failing as an analogy for climate change right for the reasons that you talked about mm-hmm. like climate change like the, the the systems that perpetuate climate change are tangible and fixable by humans right versus an asteroid that's totally externalized i yeah i totally agree with you there but it's like yeah no uh to go back to the 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 central point of the of the question right it's like so 
to be effective, satire has to like do its analogies right, do its uh, criticize rightly point to what it's criticizing them in like a overt kind of way so that it's not miscommunicated, right? And but whether or not that's effective is, as you said, like does this incur actual societal change? And I don't know if there's an answer to that now. Uh, like I said, like I think for a TV show or any kind of piece of media to have widespread notoriety, it has to be, it has to go against hundreds of other shows and other pieces of media that are vying for people's attention, right? And in the way that we have it in 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 our current uh, social system, right? To actual, there's a, there's a difference between convincing a bunch of people of a certain thing by showing them the you know downsides or the or criticizing something using comedy and actual community or legal or uh, legislative action right Mm -hmm. and that's that is i think the tough translation for any art form that's trying to make societal uh change is like how do you turn people's um awareness of a topic into legislative action right Mm -hmm. or community action um and i think as a as an art form satire has a harder time doing that than than having that translation than like theater or like movies do uh, because it's comedic, generally, right? Like because sat because satire is a branch of comedy, people are laughing at it, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't always translate into a person's brain as, oh shit, we really have to do something about this. There's a layer of nuance that your brain has to go to to uh, to be critical of what you're listening to, uh, or reading or whatever that I think is more that has to be more nuanced than something like the- theater or the movies where it's serious and it's more overt that like something is wrong. Right. I think comedy is kind of like, I, I really, I love comedy as a genre and as a, as a thing, I think it's a really great tool for a whole bunch for, for saying a lot of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But because it's come, but like it, it, it's a kind of a double-edged sword, right? Like you get, you get more people to watch it maybe because it's comedic, but at the same time you get less people taking it super seriously or they have to do that additional leap to be like, Oh, right. That's what that's supposed to mean. Yeah, I guess you could say that there is like uh maybe a larger tendency to just dismiss the thing. Yeah. Because you're like laughing at it, so it could also present the situation as not being serious at the same time. Mm. So it, yeah, so yeah. it definitely can be like a double-edged type thing because on one hand it could be pointing little there's this big flaw that we have in XYZ system, but then at the same time you're also laughing at that same problem. So it's like well, maybe it's not serious since I'm laughing at it, right? Yeah. I think the other thing in terms of like a broader philosophical sense is that like all these forms uh, of satire, generally how we receive it is all within like the the system itself, mm. right? All within yeah. like the capitalistic system. So the way I've come to kind of think of it is that like the way the machine keeps on turning is that it incorporates everything in it so there's like a little slice for everyone there so everyone can find find what works for them and then still be a part of the system and they may not even even realize it because uh there was this podcast uh that i was listening to i forget what it's called it was about rick and morty Mm. 
And on uh, one of the episodes, do you watch Rick and Morty or? I do. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, when they go to like to do the Citadel, the Citadel of Rick's. There's a couple of episodes where they do that. Yeah, I I think it's like one of the first ones where like it's where it's like it doesn't involve like the main Rick and Morty's, but it shows like slices of life within that one. Yes. I love that episode. Right. And so one of them is like the Willy Wonka type. Rick yeah. who has like the factory where they make those those like cookies or whatever the they are the wafers yeah exactly right so what they were saying in the, in this podcast was that like uh one way you can like read that whole thing is that um because like you have the one Rick that's like set hooked up to the machine and they take like his brain chemicals or whatever and that's kind of what mm-hmm. gives the flavor to the wafers but the actual Rick himself is extricated in like uh, from from the day from the from the system and lives this kind of like peaceful existence and like this kind of like simulation or whatever thing yeah so the way they likened it to like kind of like our view uh in our society now of like going away out on vacation like to the woods or something right so it's like mm. you kind of get away from it all like for a weekend Right. So you have your nine to five grind or whatever. But then let's say on the weekend, oh, we're going to go through the cottage. We're going to go outdoors. So it's a way for you like to step away from the system for a bit, but then still maintain your position in that system. Because now you've stepped out. You've stepped out from it. So you, you've stepped out, but now you can come back and be accepting of it. And then like in a few months or whatever it is, you do the same thing again. So I think about like every kind of single like subgenre that we have. And it doesn't have to be like of a particular piece of media, but just in different groups of society that we have, they all be, start out as something that like rebels against the system, but then they become like incorporated in the system, but as like a way for you to feel as though you're rebelling against the system. So like you think of like punks or whatever, right? Initially, like that is seen as rebelling against whatever the status yeah. quo is, right? But now punk. Is it, it's just another fashion accessory. Yeah, it's it's become mainstream. Right? So any any kind of thing like that, where it's just like something that comes outside, it becomes absorbed by the... As soon as it becomes like productized and like you can style yourself after it, it's, it just becomes a series of niches that people fall into. So you think you're rebelling against the system, but you're just in another form of that very same system. Yeah. So I think for satirical works, it kind of falls in that because you're still subject to that very system. I know I'm saying system a lot, but there's no other way to describe it to that to that machine, to that process. Mm -hmm. Right. So I watch something that's subversive, but it's made by Disney, for example. Yeah, it's still packaged. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, is it exact signed on it? Like it's being funded by X thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, It can't really be controversial if that's happening. And feel like, oh, yes, I'm being subversive by watching this. But then there's like a whole product line around it. You know, it's being released in theaters. It's being released on DVD or streaming or whatever it is. There's T-shirts related to it, other merchandise related to it. Right. So like at the end of the day, like how subversive is it like it's put out there so it lets me feel as though i'm being subversive but i'm still maintaining that system so i think when you put out satirical work it's like how does it break out of these things that have been set up these conventions that have been set up now because it still has to exist within that framework so how do you break out of that so is anything really truly 
you know, subversive in that sense? Or yeah. is it is anything really challenging in that sense? That's a really good point. Right? No, so, it's true. So it makes it difficult to be like, okay, if I come up with something that's satirical, right? Like how does the average person know that it's supposed to be like satirical kind of thing now? Because it's all within within that. Yeah. Within that thing. I totally see what you're getting at. Like it's hard to I think and I think the idea of subversiveness is very very important to think about in terms of satire right like if 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 a if a piece of media was of specific satirical media was as as subversive as possible as controversial as possible right it might not even see the light of day it would it might not get greenlit it might not get uh put out there right right like any kind of thing that you're putting on tv or whatever you're right has like the interest the corporate interests of a bunch of other background figures in it not only dictating whether or not it can exist but potentially also dictating its messaging right and who it's uh, pandering to uh or who it's targeting right Mm -hmm. which makes it really hard to make something actually subversive and make something actually critical uh in today's day and age Mm -hmm. but like even if you like release something that is subversive or whatever will it be received as subversive and if it is received as subversive like how how do individuals like realize that it is actually subversive because you're still participating yeah in in that system like like think of a movie like the matrix or whatever right that's all about breaking out of the of the world around you right not everything is not as it seems right so you could see it as obviously being very subversive because you're breaking out literally in the film mm-hmm. right they're breaking out of the world as they know it, as society as they know it and you see oh there's an exterior real world out here so when you see that like in because i mean this is where like the idea of red pill and all this stuff comes from right it's like breaking free yes right from from the these chains that have been put on you that you don't even know but i mean I'm, we're not even going there with that thing but just to say like you know, people have taken this idea presented by the Matrix, uh, you know, of breaking free from like, you know, the restraints that are around you. But right, like it's a film released by Warner Brothers, right, that yep. has a whole bunch of merch and product lines around it and video games, all this other stuff, T-shirts, whatever. And it's, all, it's like, so how subversive is it? Like, even if it's message, yeah. messaging is truly 100 percent like, you know, you got to break out of all the things that bind us. But it's just like it just becomes like another avenue for you to accept the system that we're in because you think this is you think like you're not in it, but you're still in it kind of thing. Yeah. Right? So it creates like these Absolutely. little niches where you're still stuck in there and it helps you just it helps to just reinforce the overarching system because everything is can still contained within it. But you now you you found a little space where you feel comfortable. You feel like, oh, I'm 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 actually rebelling against it. Yeah. Like somebody, I, I just, I, an example of, of that that I just thought of is like, you know, you're scrolling through Instagram and you see like the Beaverton uh, posted something. The Beaverton is another satirical news, uh, a new satire thing, which is specifically uh, Canadian, Canadian right? yeah. yeah, Canadian politics uh, and Canadian history and stuff. You can click on that and be like, ah, yes, I agree with this. This is funny because it's making fun of X thing. But you're scrolling through it on Instagram, which is perpetuating its own biases and its own uh, ads and nonsense and bullshit on your phone which has gotten its own thing to it it's there's a lot of layers to try to deconstruct in order to actually uh 
do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it kind of like just kind of keeps you in place. So I don't mm-hmm. know if there's an actual way to break out, to break out from it. Right. That's the difficulty thing. So it's really hard to say if, uh, you know, the satire is a fact. It could be funny, right? Like I've laughed at a lot of satirical things, but it's one of the things that like a lot of works of fiction. So anything that one of the things that we talked about when I kind of like studied this, like at Concordia, um, right. So you'll have, um, let's say we have films that deal with like the horrors of slavery or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like portrays, you know, the brutality that had been inflicted upon, you know, certain peoples being held in bondage and all that stuff. One of the issues that comes up with these kind of films or TV shows or works of media or whatever is that part of the audience like response is that because it's something that's contained and it's like quantifiable, it has a beginning, middle and end. When you're done watching it or, you know, however you interact with the piece, whenever you're done, it's like, oh, well, it's over now. Yeah, you can compartmentalize that. Exactly. Right. So it's like, oh, yes, slavery was a problem. But, you know, this film takes place in 1800. But we don't have it anymore. So like that problem has been like contained by the end of the film. Mm -hmm. Yes, maybe I cried because, you know, I felt bad for the characters and their situation. But now I'm done. I have released whatever it is that I've released. And now I can move on. I can close the book on that Mm -hmm. and move on. Right. So like I'm thinking like a a similar thing for watching something satirical because maybe it raises good points. But now it's done, right? So maybe whatever the, the, the thing is being satirized is, well, I've, I've finished that, I've completed it, and now I like move on to something else kind of thing. Yeah. No, I totally, yeah. I, I, that's super true. And, I, and that's for anything that shows something horrific, right, or, or confronts you with the brutal reality of, of the world, right? Um, if it's that easy to compartmentalize and to put that away, for something that's hard hitting and truthful, how much harder is it or easier rather to come to, to not even acknowledge something if it's in the, if it's packaged in the form of something lighthearted, right? Mm -hmm. The average person really has to go that extra mile to retain something about it and to translate that into, into something actionable Mm -hmm. uh, in order for that to make a difference. And I think that's true about any kind of media that's trying to make a difference in the world right like how do you push your audience to to do something uh because that's the only hope that you can have right uh it's i i think it's at least to me it's like you know you can get your audience to start to think about a certain subject right and to to be more to be more sensitized to it yourself to themselves right um but it's an and and you can say and sure and and I I will get I will grant that that is an impact on your audience right that is affecting society in its own way by making people confront things that they might not have had before mm-hmm. right but how but speaking to like our point from earlier about like potential like this idea of like post race uh, post race uh, after the Obama administration and stuff it's like uh, and then just seeing that totally get debunked when when Trump came in right it's like. It's one thing to change people to potentially to try to change people's attitudes about something, but it's a very different thing to change like ingrained uh, prejudices or ingrained social uh, hierarchies and 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 like systems in place. Right? You can't just do that by making people think about it something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tough. It's really it's really tough if you're an artist trying to make people uh, think change to trying to change the world. 
right? Like your turnover rate, <laughs> to, to call it that, is incredibly low, incredibly difficult. No, definitely. Uh, one last thing before I think we'll end it for today is that I, I don't know if you remember this tweet. Uh, there was a tweet like five or six, maybe even 10 years ago now, where it was this lady who was, I think, going to South Africa. And she tweeted out, going to Africa or going to South Africa, this is a paraphrase, uh, hope I don't get HIV. Just kidding. I'm white. Did you, do you remember this on Twitter? No, I don't remember <laughs> that. Oh my God. Right. That sounds terrible. Right. And when I, when I saw it, I, I read it. I was like, yeah, well, okay. That's a terrible, terrible thing to say, but this blew up mm. over Twitter. Right. And this got the whole That's Twitter really outrage machine going. Okay, yeah. So this is where we get into it, right? So the lady mm. sent that tweet out just before, like, her plane was about to take off. So, oh, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There yes. you go. It's coming back yes. to you. Yes, thank you. It's coming back to me. Right? So she's on, I forget where she, she's leaving from, but it's like a nine, ten hour flight from wherever her origin point is. And she's flying to, let's say, Johannesburg. I don't know where exactly mm-hmm. in South Africa. So she doesn't know all this is going on because she's like, you know, over, over yeah. in the air while this is all playing out. Right. And everyone's just getting all pissed off and like, oh, my God, how would you say that? So insensitive. That's mean. That's racist. Blah, blah, blah. And look, I'll say, like, I don't care much for the Twitter outrage machine. Like, I saw that. I'm like, well, that's kind of that's kind of shitty thing to say. But <laughs> move. I move on with my life because at the end of the day, it's not mm-hmm. really important. I mean, yeah, like I said, it's it's a maybe dumb thing to say, maybe, you know, callous thing to say, racist thing to say, sure, but is it impacting my life? Is this from someone who has the power to pass laws or legislation or policy? No. Whatever. So, you know, when she lands, then she's kind of sees like, you know, basically her phone blowing up and, you know, she loses her job and she's like publicly enemy number one because people figured out who she is, where she works, and like you know, when and when you get this large amount of hate or, you know, companies, because we're in this capitalist system, like anything that's going to cost some money, they're like, okay, we got to let you go. It turns out that this lady, when she tweeted that, she was being satirical of people who have that. She's being sarcastic. Oh, okay. That um, position, yeah. right? Because so to her, it was like, obviously, you know, this is a dumb thing to say, but people do have this viewpoint, though. Mm-hmm. Where they will say things like, like, we see it with like the coronavirus, uh, COVID now, right? Where people are like, oh, I don't need to get the vaccine because, uh, you know, I'm perfectly healthy or I'm not going to get the vaccine because it's the government trying to get you to conform to things, right? So people mm-hmm. hold these things that have no basis for stuff. But apparently this lady was just like, you know, making fun of people who do talk and think like that. Yeah. And, but no one understood it. No one understood it. As that, right? And, and it's some some small innocuous account too. This isn't even someone big and, and just a random famous. person, yeah. Yeah, that they just kind of got a hold on, <laughs> on Twitter. Oh, and it's me. like it went over everybody's head. Mm. Kind of thing. And and but even in this case where it's like what you know, it's still not going to facilitate any kind of change because people just get angry about it and then they move on. Yeah. To the next thing. That's super interesting. I think like I've seen tweets like that yeah. uh, that are like being written from the perspective of somebody uh, who has a shitty take. Right. Uh, if we can call it that. And 
again, it's uh, I I see why a lot of people like jumped on the bandwagon to condemn that uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because it's hard to, and I and I think the two are kind of interlinked, right? Yes. Uh, because it's hard to uh, denote sar- denote in sarcasm. written form, yeah, especially on something in like Twitter, form. where you only have and the, and the characters. fact that it's on Twitter, yeah. which is a platform where most people spout their opinions very readily, right? Like Twitter's not usually a place for sarcasm unless you're being very, very specific about it, like putting in air quotes or whatever, right? There, the medium is the mess. <laughs> no, you know, Twitter is just basically people shit talking and trying exactly. to say like things to get like, um, was it like interactions or whatever engagement? That's the word engagement. Yeah. So I can see why people were like, oh, clearly this person, this is this person's actual opinion. Yeah. Because why would you post that on Twitter otherwise if it wasn't your actual opinion? Uh, when in fact it was a haha comedy joke. Uh, <laughs> but then that's another thing about uh, something that I, I wanted to address here uh, before, maybe not before, but in general, in relation to, sar- to satire, right? Yeah. Is that it's so tied to sarcasm. And a lot of people I find can get away with saying shitty things in the name of it being sarcasm or in the name of it being comedic. And that's not the same as satire. I just want to put that out there for people who are listening, right? If you're like, oh man, uh, insert X racist claim here. Sorry, and then go, oh no, yeah. no, no, dude, I was joking. It's, it's a joke. Yeah, right? that, that lends to, uh, again, during that time in the 2010s with this idea of like post-racial yeah. stuff, there was a lot of ironic, which is like mm. a force, irony is like a form of, of satire. Yeah. Of like ironic, like racist humor where people would say, yeah, offensive things. And then the idea was that, like, you know, that I know, that you know. Yeah, we're all winking at each other under the racist, table, right? But at the end of the day, I remember when people would speak out against it, it being like, well, it's still putting out the same thing at the end of the day. Exactly. Right? If I'm like, oh, yeah, stereotype of this group of person is funny because I said offensive stereotype about this group, and that's why it's funny. It's like, well, at the end of the day, you're still putting out the idea that this offensive stereotype is funny, whether or not you know that it's offensive. Yeah. doesn't really change the impact that something like that has. Because again, with the satire, as we mentioned in one of our definitions is that it's supposed to be like criticizing something about our society. Yes. Or a person again, uh, or corporation or government or whatever, right. It's supposed to be poking fun at this type of uh, thinking or political viewpoint or whatever it is. But if you're just saying that, like, offensive thing is offensive, and I know that it's offensive, it's like, what's the critique? Like, what are you critiquing about, exactly. about it? Yeah. Right? So, like, there's nothing, like, there's, there's, there's this good joke, like, by Dave Chappelle, which is, like, um, he says that he walked into uh, this restaurant, and, uh, you know, he looked at the menu, and, you know, he's like, okay, I'm going to get, like, the chicken, right? And so he says, like, to the waiter... Uh, yeah, I'm going to take the chicken and the waiter kind of like in hostile manners. Like, yeah, we all knew the moment you walked in, you were going to get the chicken, right? The idea being that like, you know, because he was a mm. black man, stereotype that black people like chicken, right? And he's like, okay, well, I didn't realize that, I, you know, I was genetically predisposed to liking chicken. I just thought it tasted good, right? Mm-hmm. So there it's like, you know, it's like poking fun at the idea that like, you know, only black people like chicken because they're black. 
Or it's just like, well, you know, lots of people like chicken. Like, I'm pretty sure every single (laughs) society or group of people people have have a chicken dish, (laughs) you know, in their culture. Right. It's not like something that's specific. So the idea that, oh, yeah, the black person loves chicken. Right. But if, yeah, so if you're pointing fun or making fun of that assumption about a person, right that's the critique right that's the humor that's the subversion right this idea that like oh because of your skin color (laughs) you like this thing you know why do we hold that position or that view of people but if your thing is like black people like chicken (laughs) that's funny it's like well what's the okay yes you're not taking that extra step to be nuanced yeah there's no critique of that right because the critique in like that Chappelle joke is that like yeah why that's a dumb thing that we hold about black people exactly liking that when it's like well when you think about it it's kind of stupid and like yeah Yeah. right don't try to to mask your shitty jokes as satire (laughs) yeah so if there's no there's no further critique on if you're just parroting you know this idea that offensive thing is funny uh, you know, it's not it's not playing out how you think it's playing out. Exactly. So I think we'll end it there on this episode of Aim for the Bushes. I've been your podcast person, Pavel, also known as JPav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavy. And with me today, fellow special podcast person, Alex. Goodbye. Well, not bye bye, but yeah, always Goodbye a pleasure. for now. Uh, love talking about this kind of thing. For yes. now. <laughs> for now. Well, there's always another episode coming out soon, so stay tuned for that. Alex, do you have anything to plug before we go? No. Oh, okay. You don't have anything to plug. Psych. Uh, oh, so no. I, you I fooled satired me. You. Oh, uh-huh. no. You got me with the satire. <laughs> oh, I was so fooled. Uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug October Jones and Fish with Legs, a fantasy adventure podcast that both Pat and I have participated in and done amazing things for. You can find it anywhere that you find podcasts it's a great time uh on some more personal uh notes uh, i'm gonna plug the band that i play guitar for favorite daughter we're an indie pop indie rock uh group in montreal we have some shows coming up uh i think end of like end of march and then april may june basically one a month uh so if you're into that kind of thing look us up on our socials that's favorite daughter spelt the canadian way and i don't know when this is gonna come out but on another musically related thing, I am actually going to be, I'm one of the band people for a musical that's happening in May uh, that's being done by Contact Theatre. That's uh, a Montreal company. Uh, they're putting on Next to Normal, which is a, a musical. You may have may not heard of it. It's, it's pretty good. You could look it up. Uh, it's, got, it's got some really sick music and I'm going to be in the band for that musical. Oh, nice. uh, so if you're, look, if you're into musicals, if you're in, if you're in Montreal, it's uh we have dates coming up i think it's like the first two weeks of may kind of thing uh, and you can look up contact theater on socials for more details yeah that's interesting i don't know you're doing that and i think this should yeah. be this episode should be in april sometime so perfect so hopefully it'll be relevant when, when when this actually drops but yeah that'll do it for us thank you uh so much for listening if you are on a platform that allows you to rate and or comment you know, feel free to do so. Help us grow. Help us get the message out there. Music for this episode has been provided by Mia Pearson. So make sure you check her out on SoundCloud. She does a lot of awesome music related stuff. <laughs> so with that, 
you know, make sure you stay safe. Everyone, please uh, get vaccinated if you can. Also, no war. Peace.